0: But you can't say, oh, black on black crime is a thing very specific to us. Like we're the only ones who have intercommunal violence and you can't just name the effect. And that's it. Like you have to address the root. The root of it is we have there's an inequity in the education system. There's uh, housing, redlining. There's all kinds of different things that our communities lack that other communities don't, you know, for very specific and targeted purposes. So it's like. And then there's a reason psychologically that some people hate themselves. And so you have to address this, these things. And they're all rooted in fuck in white supremacy. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Right. And so to piggyback off of exactly what you want to, uh, exactly what you're saying, it's a few things for me. It's one. So Take, to take it a step back, first and foremost, like about my perspective, first and foremost, I want to just, you know, say and remind everyone that um, I have for many years and I'm still, you know, part of the nation of guys and Nerds. You know what I mean? And so Supreme Mathematics and Supreme Alphabet is is part of my my daily philosophy on things, my every philosophy on things, part of it. So that being said, one of my biggest takeaways from that culture is that basically about making knowledge born and saying that, like, you can say whatever you want, basically, you can believe whatever you want. It can be information of whatever type. It really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what really makes it matter is its applicability. Now, if you can't apply this to something, if you can't apply this to how real life works and how real people live, I'm sorry for you. I really don't know what to tell you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I really don't know what else to say about it or why it's even a topic, to be honest. And so that being said, like, (coughs) excuse me, so what's important for me on this on one level is the end game so you can sit here and say until you're blue in the face oh what about black on black crime what about black on black crime okay I'll bite I hear you but what's the end game and the applicability of what you're saying what you're basically saying is that simply because some negroes over there shoot some negroes over there right or some negroes over here rob some negroes over here right just because of that whenever Um, A state officer, a police officer, or whomever, when they come to the community or they're anywhere in any type of way or any white person whatsoever or any representative of any type of white power structure, be it um, systemic or be it institutional, be it cultural, when that person murders one of us, then because some Negroes rob some Negroes over here, I'm just supposed to not say anything because when you apply what you're saying, that's the the end game. That's the result of applying what you're saying. So you can sit here and say, what about black on black crime all day if you want to, but I can't apply that to real life because what it's telling me to do is that simply because some Negroes shoot some Negroes over there. Whenever a cop murders one of us, and says, oh, I was fearing for my life, so on and so forth, just because he's a young Black man or what have you, I'm just supposed to sit here and not say anything and act like it didn't happen. And I'm supposed to look at the rest of you and be like, oh, well, you know, Raekwon was shot yesterday, so I guess I better not say nothing then. Like, nah, that's not how this works. That's not how this goes. That's, that's the first layer. The second layer for me is And this this amplifies your point about intercommunal violence. It should be well known by now that nine times out of ten, violence happens horizontally, you know, within the same racial or whatever it is type of demographic that you happen to be grouped with, more likely, right? So that's already a normal human behavior, number one, regardless of the fact that it's probably amplified for us for it's amplified for us for a myriad of reasons, including, you know, self-hate bred by white supremacy and so forth. But it should also not be, it should also not go unsaid that not only is intercommunal violence normal, but violence and high crime within a ghetto, more more or less, within, you know, an inner city uh, environment, that's normal as well. So if you, if you take that type of living situation and that type of area and living circumstance, if you just take the black people out of it, and you go anywhere else in the world and you see an inner city environment, there's high crime. Don't care if it's in Ukraine. Don't care if it's in freaking um, Turkey. Don't care if it's in uh, Malaysia. Doesn't matter where it's at. That is the case for human beings, period. So the problem for me in this is folks are racializing it on the wrong side of the equation. You gotta take out the 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 racializing it on the side of the equation that's basically saying that black folks ourselves are the dysfunction that the dysfunction is in our blackness no it's not it's exactly what you shine was saying that we are in more than likely you know very small, enclosed, um, impoverished areas, not only impoverished, but there's tons of inequality and inequity and, and disenfranchisement, unemployment, so on and so forth. And especially since COVID, you know, a whole lot more people have lost their jobs. And even though some people seem to think that folks who are living on unemployment excuse me, are living some type of cakewalk, let's also highlight the fact that a whole lot of folks have still never even gotten any unemployment. A whole lot of folks have seen no benefits yet in this entire crisis. So all that being said, I just really wish that people would stop racializing the, the so-called bad behavior on the wrong side of the equation. You need to racialize it on the other side and realize that the basis of all of these things that are happening, regardless of whether it's extreme Black-on-Black crime, whether it's um, state-sanctioned violence, extra, uh, extrajudicial killings and so forth by police officers and so on, all of those things have the same root, as you were saying.
0: And and I mean, that's a thousand percent correct. And on top of that, you have this, as you stated, it's this acceptance of these violent tropes and stereotypes about ourselves in order to address this inequity or inequality in our communities. it's, it's a scapegoat or a strawman in the argument to just bring up, hey, what about black on black crime? Um, and you're basically suggesting that we are violent, that we, us specifically, are some kind of exceptional violent people, which in itself is a white supremacist stereotype. It's something that is, has existed here to um, make us less than human um that's just simply not true um we see it used against in many different iterations when it comes to us as as a black people in this country um you see tons of um black women empowerment conferences and things of these and these natures and a lot of the uh the preaching to some women could be trying to battle these stereotypes that just aren't true um, the same with black men. You see a lot of um, interventions to uh, mentor black men, and it's off the basis that, oh, you guys are extra violent, you're ignorant, you don't know anything, you need to be educated. It's kind of that missionary position um, of like the missionaries who go out and try to uh, tame the masses and tame the, tame the savages. And I mean- oh, it's a, and it's honey, a I, I can talk
1: about that for years.
0: Standpoint. Go ahead. What were you saying?
1: <laughs> no, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I, I'm agreeing with you. Like, I could talk about that for years. You, you know, like, even in just our personal conversations and in posts that I make and, and critiques that I make all the time that... I am the absolute biggest, or, or maybe not the absolute biggest, but I, in my opinion, I'm one of the biggest proponents of the hood and its ability to have and create its own assets and the people within the hood having and creating their own assets. And I, I it's, it's just always so disheartening and disappointing. And I've even come to um, a fierce online argument with someone locally in the city of Newark who calls himself all types of leadership and whatever in the arts
0: and culture saying And that's a big just before you continue, that's a big thing is it's a lot of people who think they are helping. Or yes. You know what, let me let me give you let me give them even a benefit. Um I don't I think we started recording after we mentioned, but this is we're we're addressing mall from the JBP <laughs> initially. <laughs> that's how this conversation started. Right. That's how this started conversation started, is Maul yeah. was agreeing with Gilly and going back and forth with Joe and those guys about Black-on-Black crime. Um, And let me say this, because it goes on to something he said and goes on to something that you're about to touch on, where these are people who go, I do give back. I'm in the community. So I can't um, you can't see me as 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 a coon or you can't see me as um, this kind of as a Jason Whitlock or whatever you want to say. You can't see me those guys because I'm actually in the community. But a lot of that motivation, even that point of view of thinking that you're being benevolent and trying to correct the beast as we say you know like a lot of that motivation is displaced
1: and and it it just really goes back to the consistent heritage of missionaryism um and this is not any slight to anybody's religion at all it's just a certain particular type of practice that is extremely extremely not only elitist but white supremacist uh white supremacist whatever um (laughs) regardless to who the person is who's actually doing it, because believe it or not, as we've said before, you don't necessarily have to be white to support white supremacy, right? So it's that whole savior complex. I'm going to teach the dysfunction out of you. I know what's better for you than you do. And and it's... It's so disheartening for so many different reasons. It points to so many different divides um, among us, be they, um, as you and I were talking about uh, before, with regard to um, not only intergenerational differences, but also um, ethnical differences. um, Ethical, no, I was right the first time. you know, just just little, very, very fine, nuance differences in maybe folks who um, are African-American versus folks who may be first or second generation from an immigrant family of the African diaspora or from the continent, et cetera, et cetera. And there are even folks um, who are African-American who say and believe and do those same exact things. And it's just it's indicative of you know the savior complex but it's also indicative to me of just folks being out of touch and out of touch on purpose though like you you can't talk down to the people who you claim that you're going to help you have to come from a strengths-based and human rights-based perspective these people are here doing the things that they do at least from a excuse me, a cultural perspective. and But those things developed over time. They have roots. They came from somewhere. You cannot expect to be welcomed and honored by a people and being incorporated into their community in order to do any type of meaningful work with them and to support whatever direction it is that they're going to go as a group, if you do not at least care enough, and that's the part that's missing, because people don't actually care about people at all. If you did, then you would do simple things. Like, for example, instead of sitting around and constantly, you know, lambasting folks for let's say, having um, cookouts on the 4th of July, which Black folks have done for a very long time. But we have our reason for doing it. And the first ones of us who ever started doing it in the 1800s, they had their reasons for doing it and in celebrating our emancipation and so on and so forth. It became a tradition for ourselves that we created in our own sovereign minds, we created that, and it's carried forward because of that. We use those different things that appear to be state holidays to everyone else, and we use those as traditions in order to celebrate ourselves and our families and you know the love and support and survival that we have among ourselves. But if you're not coming from a strengths-based type of perspective, then you come in thinking these people are dysfunctional. You don't come in going, there are probably resources and assets and really good things and points to start with around here. You know, I don't have to come in here building brick by brick. I can just look around and find the bricks that already exist and just add my little bit of perspective maybe, and we can together build a new house. You see, that's the way you got to come at community work. You can't come in the hood saving the hood. The hood will save itself.
0: But you see, that's, um, so that speaks on a topic that I actually wanted to get into a little bit later, um, with well, we actually touched on it on the the episode before last, I believe with, you know, this, uh, this co-opting the movement of certain classes of people, um, you know, coming into a movement and thinking that they're starting things or thinking that things in these communities never existed. Um, you know, the, you know, you had the, the Terry Crews, who I hate, you know, it, I dreaded even saying his name. But... Um,
1: and he's still going at it. He's still he, saying
0: more foolishness. Yeah, but he was on uh Don Lemon show. Um, and just like, you know, with Maul, even though, you know... Comparing those two guys, or there's a, there's a difference there, but either way, they both had a similar point of view um, that you can't bring up black on black crime always as a point to rebut or be a you know a contrarian when people talk about Black Lives Matter. Um, Because if that is your point of view, there are literally thousands of community organizations that exist in every single one of our communities who do the grassroots organizing, who do the work on the ground. And so a lot of times now, whenever people bring up this whole Black-on-Black crime thing as a rebuttal um, to Black Lives Matter, people already now, people know. And they go, well, you haven't heard of these organizations? So if you haven't heard of them, you can't just say that it's out of the blue. It's because you are ignorant to those things. You need to do the reading. Like you need to go and check and figure out what's where and do the work there. You know, Terry Crews mentioned this thing. And then Royster 5-9, who's from Michigan, is like, hey, I, you know, you're nowhere to be found when it comes to what's going on in your community. So why are you the first one to speak on black on black crime or inner community crime? Um, so it's just the lack of knowledge when you hear people say this because it's like you've highlighted, um, this community violence is a thing in all, all communities. We're talking about white on white crime, which is actually very close to the percentage of black on black crime. They're almost identical. So, but no one ever says white on white crime. You never hear after a theater is shot up or a school is shot up, well, all this white on white crime. You just never hear that term is specifically to silence, um, racial injustice. And I just wanted to touch on this other part is, you know, recently there were some killings of children in Atlanta, which, um, is unacceptable, should never happen. Um, we may have even touched on in the last episode, my heart goes out to those families. Um, but what really triggered me is, uh, The mayor of Atlanta, um, Mayor Bottoms, she came on television and used the death of those kids and of those people to silence and combat the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, her statement was, you can't blame the police for this. It's completely out of touch, just like you like you touched on. It's this thing where you purposefully. This isn't something where you don't know. I'm pretty sure this is a very intelligent woman, and that her decisions, especially when it comes to increasing the funding of the police while using opportunity to co-opt the movement of all the Black Lives Matter organizers and for her to feel, you know, project that she's on the the same side as those people. And in the background, she's actually raised their budgets. She just denied, um, you know, I was a critic of Eight Can't Wait as a reform because I don't believe in reform. I believe in defunding and abolishing, but someone put up the Eight Can't Wait um, to just to add more restrictions to police police, uh, action Uh, just this past week, and she denied it for whatever reasons. Um, And they had to continue to pursue it just to get those reforms in place. So these people who say, I'm on your side, I'm on your side, but what about this? But you can't talk about this until you talk about this. A lot of times their intentions, for whatever reason, is to silence the people's cries and to continue to project this veil of I'm better or, you know, I know better, or, you know, you have to work with the system. And these things just are completely illogical because they don't help us. And um, you know, it's just always this separation. But I just had to speak on that part about the mayor of Atlanta because, you know, when I heard her say, you know, you can't blame the police for this, it was very Obama-esque with the whole pull up your pants, or when Obama as a black man called the protesters in Baltimore thugs. And he went on his, you know, his tour of pulling your pants up. So there's this, just this huge divide there for people who want to keep the system in place, but they continue to use these excuses when the real solution to these issues are actually addressing white supremacy and systemic injustice. That's the cause of all of this stuff.
1: And so I really, uh, I, I want to hammer your point home even just a bit more, if not kind of busting it wide open a little bit. So (laughs) more to the point of both, you know, uh, weaponizing um, certain things against us and against our efforts and movements. And also this performative wokeness that she's engaged in. So, and, and I'm, you know, I don't know the sister or whatever. I, I'm just noticing what I'm noticing. And, and me, so the me, next,
0: let me just be clear though. This isn't just her. You have the mayor Bowser. Um, and these are just the black mayors of these towns. There's also a countless white, you know, council people and, and people who have the same position, but you know, this person for me is just a very blatant and be example. And
1: beyond people. Like, so, so no, but I, I want to stay on her because the next dimension to this is, so while she's talking this about these children being murdered and being so concerned about that, um, although, and I don't know really closely because, you know, we didn't fully intend to talk about her in particular. So I didn't look up the specifics earlier in terms of what she's done economically and whatever else have you um, within the city of Atlanta um, to try to combat the have the, the 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 have-nots versus the haves, and I mean like you know combat their inequality inequity and um, the 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 resources that they lack and what have you. I'm not fully aware of that. I'll be I'll admit, but one thing that is very telling for me is that she's saying all this on the one hand. And on the other hand, because, you know, I love my documentaries and all that type of stuff. So on the other hand, she is also the mayor who has now reopened the old cases of the Atlanta child murders. From the the what was it the eighties, seventies um, and eighties, yeah. So she's reopened those cases and made this whole grandstand, um, these displays and press conferences and all this about you know finally seeking justice and uh, going back through the old records and whatever else have you, and the community and rightly so, is very leery of what this actually means. The folks who've investigated it and been part of it and everything throughout the past, even white folks, they're very leery of what this may mean. And I don't fault them because putting all this together to me honestly it seems like a whole lot of performativeness like i'm going to do these things to make it seem as if um you know i'm really on the side of social justice and social justice reform meanwhile I really do not see anything different coming out of it than what the um, powers that be of the city of Atlanta did in the past that it seems like if you watch it um, and you look up the information about the whole situation and about the whole um, everything and the way it unfolded, then it just becomes really super duper clear that there were Klansmen, in fact involved in those murders and involved in the entire phenomenon and and the serial murders and what have you. But those leads were not, Properly investigated. The records were destroyed, not kept, so on and so forth. Um, And then more to the point, it seems like at a certain point they just kind of rushed the whole thing closed. Like, oh, we're going to pick this one Black guy and pin the entire thing on him and just make it, you know, an open and shut thing. The public will get their satisfaction because they got their guy and so on and so forth. And we'll just put this all to bed because what will it mean if we actually come out and say, oh, the Klan's been involved in this and, you know, what are the implications then, <laughs> you know, to say that the clans are going around killing a whole bunch of Black kids, like, or even any mixture of folks who may have been involved, you know? And so I- I'm just really leery about her positions when it comes to um, this performative social justice involvement, because now at this point, it doesn't really seem like it's, it's actually... Um, well intended.
0: Well, we know. We we spoke about it um, during our initial protest uh, pod episode. Um, you know, you have Mayor Bowser in D.C. with the Black Lives Matter uh, plaza in front of the White House, and she's going, she or she is trying to push, rather, a $45 million increase in the budget for the police there. Um, you have... Joe Biden, who is a man that a lot of, a lot of quote unquote abolitionists are voting for in this presidential election. Um, some is, you know, I, there was a big uproar about whether Angela Davis was gonna support Joe Biden and whether that was a contradiction or not or whatever. But either way, um, she has hinted that if there is a choice there, that, that that's what she would make. And she's a fundamental ab- abolitionist. But Joe Biden being everyone's candidate to oppose Trump um, has put forth to increase budgets around the country for police. So there's this thing of, you know, protesting and having this front and a face of trying to change the world, but then the tangible decisions that we have to make, um, they keep coming down to people who want to increase militarization and increase police presence. so that's just a point where we're at where it's we have people who do a lot of talking yeah beyond (laughs) beyond the talking it's like what what is the what is what are the real life things that are happening to help our communities um and what's being done and just just to wrap up this whole uh this whole piece here um you know i Jessica both and I have both stated this is that there are organizations out there There are people out there who are doing the work that you were saying it is not being done And if the only time we talk about this is when people are talking about um, police killing and beating us or vigilantes killing killing us and more specifically these police and vigilantes who are killing us are getting off they're not facing any jail time. Sometimes they're facing raises, and you know, being located to other places. Um, whereas, when any community, when any crime is done inside these communities, you you many times you see over policing. You see a rush to justice. Over yes,
1: policing, yes. As you're absolutely. mentioning, where
0: it's just like let's pin it all on this dude and go about our business. So you're seeing all kinds of. You're, there's just an imbalance here. So you can't make those things equal. They're not equal.
1: Right. And now you're starting to see um, (laughs) some articles and some blogs come out and what have you where folks are alleging that crime is spiking in various areas and various parts of the country because cops have been pulling back because of all of the protests and whatnot.
0: Well, all of that is just a justification to increase police presence. It's almost like the uh, the firecracker thing where uh, Mayor de Blasio I forgot what unit of the police that after these the protests started he said that they were um, they were dissolving them but then when the firecrackers thing happened, uh-huh. De Blasio came out and said oh we're going to start a firecracker unit of plainclothes officers um, so you see that things happen in order to justify The presence of police. The whole Mm -hmm. stop and frisk thing was just to justify harassing people and to just Mm -hmm. have any, and you know, to overstep boundaries, almost like how the Patriot Act was used after 9 11, where it's okay, this traumatic experience is occurring. So let's try to put in some policy where we have no reign, like we have no, uh, we have no, you know, checks and balances. We can do as we please.
1: Until this day, because folks like to, rework data however they want. To this day, there are still some people, namely the person who was just not too long ago running for president, um, Bloomberg, <laughs> El Blumbito. Um, yeah, he. to this day, folks like him um, justify and they believe that stop and frisk worked. They believe that it helped. That it curved crime and that it indicated who was creating more crime. Listen, as a person who, for whatever reason, be it you know my discipline in history or be it my you know current work in social work, who has to pour over data and numbers all the time, <sighs> simply put, simply because more arrests are made does not mean that more crime was committed especially when we live under the type of system of inequality that we do. Although I know people like him think that we don't. (laughs) Right.
0: So let me just, let me just give this part when it comes to data here. And this is through the uh, ACLU of New York. um, Nearly nine out of 10 of those people stopped for any stop and frisk occurrence in New York during Bloomberg's, uh, during Bloomberg's tenure. Mm -hmm. One out of 10 of those people were completely innocent.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, At the height of stop and frisk in 2011, over 685,000 people were stopped. All right. And most, a majority of those people were black.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so...
1: Do you have the, um, the the numbers for the even further breakdown of um, how many white folks were stopped who actually had anything on them or were committing something versus the black ones?
0: Because no. there's a
1: stark difference there. Um, so, you know, again, we were kind of winging it on this particular topic. So apologies for not um, having that breakdown. But as I recall, <clears throat> the amounts of white folks who were stopped white men more specifically who were stopped who were actually found to have been committing something wrong (laughs) versus the amount the proportion of black folks stark difference stark difference so simply because more folks more um black and brown folks were stopped does not mean that those black and brown folks are actually the ones committing the crimes they actually weren't
0: it's 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 Blatant harassment of people and blatant
1: harassment, and then mistrust that breeds the mistrust. And then, while we therefore mistrust so many systems and so many institutions and whatever in our communities, and rightly so, because they do things like that, it makes it makes the environment right for us not to trust them. Then, that makes it even more difficult when it comes to simple things that we need that would help, like the census. And then therefore we don't, we don't complete those things and we don't send the information in and whatever else have you, because we don't want no part of nothing y'all talking about (laughs) because everything else that you roll out is suspicious. You know, again, this, this is the, you know, people want to weaponize different things against the hood and they want to talk about the hood being dysfunctional and this other kind of stuff. But then you still want us to take part in certain pieces of the body politic or, or, you know, um, processes that everyone else has to do. You can't have it both ways. And then even then, once we say, well, we don't really trust you or anything that you're talking about or anything that you're giving us. So, um, we're not going to take part in that because that seems like just yet another step that you people are going to be intrusive and you know uh, pick on ways that you can possibly suss out that you think we're dysfunctional so then we don't take part and then they weaponize that part against us too
0: Go vote (laughs) Go vote Vote now (laughs) Vote vote, vote. Uh, Choose between voting for, for this guy Trump who, you know, is a complete racist and he, uh, he weaponizes race relations uh, on behalf of white people and what he's done for black people that he's done nothing for, or vote for Joe Biden, the guy who can't really remember the se- his last sentence. And he also authored a bill that put millions of black people away in jail. So, you know, that's who you got to vote for yeah it's a big contradiction you have to be able to empathize with people who don't want to take part in that process Uh and then figure out out what can be done in a substantive manner to get them to actually participate Uh whether it be a a policy platform that actually speaks to them um, whether it's a candidate who's actually a person that they can get behind um, you know but there's a There's a concerted effort to not do those things. And
1: And there's a concerted effort to to discourage folks from voting. Like the, the all of the primaries and everything that had just happened throughout June and July, like the it it just really boggled my mind, honestly. The absolute commitment to the right, of the right, rather, to Discourage people from voting at all. And of course they want to play, blame it on COVID. They want to, um,
0: and,
1: and just like the whole effort, um, trying to demonize the, cause you know, of course they don't like the post office, like trying to demonize, um, you know, your, your mail-in absentee ballots, your mail-in ballots. Like, I have never seen anything like that in all my life. That is ridiculous. You even had Tucker Carlson go as far as to say, like to to imply or just outright say um, that we never had mail-in ballots before, so why is there all this focus on this now? Like what planet does he live on? And why is anybody listening to or believing this man? Of course, we've had mail-in ballots. We've had mail-in ballots since the 1800s sometime. <laughs>
0: like, you know, of
1: course, we have mail. We've had mail. Like, anybody who's been to college outside of their state knows that we've been heavily relying on mail-in ballots because that's how most college students vote at all. That's how I voted the entire time I was in Boston. And don't think I skipped because I certainly voted.
0: You know, for me, I don't really have a ton to add on voter voter suppression itself um, just because this has been the Republican uh, conservative way to win elections since I can remember. Um, and I guess for me, it's, it's more exemplary of the inaction of Democrats of the democratic party, really um, to be honest, because this has been a method of, suppressing the vote for republicans for some time i mean they've been doing this kind of stuff forever when it comes to changing voter districts um you know and and trying to change certain things to benefit them when it comes to even voter id um Mm -hmm. so you know this is nothing new and the only way really to stop it is through the ballot or some kind of uh protests but For me, it's seeing the inaction, you know, Um, that that's really what it speaks to. And I see on the Democrat side, too, they use it in the primaries, you know, when it comes to voter suppression and trying to rush people out. You know, Biden, during the beginning of this pandemic, Biden and Simone Sanders were telling people to go out and stand in lines at the primary in these mostly black communities Um, because, you know, they felt like, I believe at that time, the the primaries were in the South and the Midwest. Um, And some of those communities, they thought that Black people were going to come out in droves and vote for Biden. So they were pushing them out there to vote. Um, Also trying to take Bernie Sanders' name off the ballot in New York. Um, So each of these parties plays around with this thing to benefit them. It's just, to be completely honest, Republicans... Have been doing it better. <laughs> they not comes, even
1: gonna lie to you. Yeah. You know,
0: like they've just been better doing at the it game. Better. So, you know, I I just but, don't I, I don't have too much to add there. It's just at this point, something has to be done because I feel like, you know, with Trump and I don't know what's gonna happen with this dude, but he's gonna try everything he can do to stay in office and um to maintain the his current status quo, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, um But uh I know we kind of started this episode off going in, especially
1: on <laughs> the black on black crime
0: thing. Kind of on its because We both, you know, with this black on black, we hear this thing all the time. And at this point, please bring like something new to this conversation. <laughs>
1: Right, right. Because That's the next thing, too. Like, the argument is tired, y'all. The argument is tired. And it's so tired because, like, as you were saying before, like, and I, I might even be able to hear you if those same people who do the most of the complaining were the folks who were actually out in the streets doing the, the, the demonstrating um, and the violence intervention work. But they're not those people. I know those people. I know those people. I know them locally. I used to be, and still, I'm going to continue to be one of those people. We don't say that. Those of us who are actually outside, you know, who create demonstrations and stuff like that, we don't talk like that. We don't. We don't talk down on the people like that. Oh, you know, such and such got shot. This is that and the third. We don't do that. Well, let me at least, at least, not out loud to other people in conversation, like you know. So, that, that's the part that boggles my mind, and it's exactly what um, what Royce was saying to and about um, Terry Crews. Like, uh, I don't hear your critique, brother, because I don't see you, I don't see you out here pounding the pavement. I'm out here, so like. Uh, you know, again, like of people who engage in community, intercommunal violence intervention work, that is not the language and that is not the conversation that's had. So that's why it's so troubling for me who th- with these people who say this, because if, it's like um, if you actually cared enough, you would be in touch enough with your community to know not only that those types of demonstrations and those things do happen on a regular basis, but you would know who it is that's doing it. And, and you respect their enough you respect their work enough not to speak the way you do.
0: And, and let me just add to this um, just so we can move on to our next topic. i, I think I've mentioned this too before, but it, it needs to be said again. A lot of times when we mention issues within our community, I already have a problem because a lot of times when we do it, we're bloviating on. Mass media platforms, yes. where there are white people who can interject and take on a, a, their imagination for themselves. So that's already my issue. Is we have we like to have these quote unquote community talks and critiques in with white people as the audience.
1: Yes, and oh a lot goodness.
0: of and a lot of the discussion needs to be had to them, not with them in the midst. But that's that's just that's just one part. The last bit here is. When we bring up issues about ourselves, I think what would be more productive is to then add on resource, add on a resolution or a proposed resolution on how you will be getting involved to help these things. And I'm not talking about politicizing it. Politicizing it would be these things exist, vote Democrat, vote Republican. That's what the Blexit movement tried to do. That's what Candace Owens tries to do. That's wrong because it's trying to serve a purpose of the master. It's not trying to help the people. So my my suggestion would be if you want to talk on about if you want to talk about inner community crime because that's what it is. If you want to talk about inner community crime, then mention these organizations. And if you don't know these organizations exist, then do some homework. You do some homework, figure out who's helping who in the community, and then you boost those people. Uh-huh. You you send on on whatever your status is or if you if you host a podcast, then you before you get on your podcast and you want to talk about inner community crime, you find some organizations that people can reference to and help and volunteer with because then that shows us that you're doing your work and you're trying to be productive. You're not just trying to be a contrarian or highlighting an issue. And, and derail mean, the conversation. And derail the conversation because one thing, this isn't just about inner community crime. This happens when I go on Facebook and I see people complain about black women or I see people complain about black men. It's usually, y'all do this. And then it's somebody like me who's like, well, what's the rest? Okay. Right. Okay, there's okay, you say black women do x y z more in our community, okay, so how can you stare other black young women to avoid that, oh, black men do this. Okay, so where's your resource for other black men who are watching your, your post? Instead of just coming off as complaining, share some resources, share some knowledge. I mean, this goes back to all of our revolutionaries in the past, the community discussions and how things got done in the communities was through organizing. Organizing gets done through sharing resources, sharing wisdom, sharing knowledge. So let's, yes, I get it. You're trying to make some critique, whether it's based in weaponizing or not, you need to go and do your homework and then share some resources. And I guess that's all I got to say about that one (laughs) because (laughs) it's just, it's in a circle, you know? People like to highlight issues and then they have, they don't give us anything. You just wanna be negative. And yes, you need to be critical, but critical, the best criticism is constructive. You know, like that's the best criticism that exists is the one where you tell me about something and then you give me a resource to help fix. But a lot of these people don't do that because they don't have it themselves. They haven't done the homework themselves. They just want to make a point, but they haven't actually they're not committed to making change. Like you say, like with Royce and those other people who criticize those guys.
1: Right. And so you know, we can continue our conversation about, um, the, the, the woke purity testing, <laughs> the Listen, liberal purity testing. I got something
0: Eth- on that one too.
1: Ethnic purity testing. It's just a whole lot of woke Olympics going on at all times. Just Listen. It's just all different forms of it. And honestly, <laughs>
0: I don't want to take up too much of y'all time here. (laughs) So I'm going to just give you an example of this. And then I'm going to let Jessica speak her piece on it. But the reason I wanted to even address uh, pure, you know, uh, liberal neoliberalism, whatever you want to call it in the purity testing that we do Is there has been this discussion of abolition, and I mentioned it with Angela Davis a little bit earlier in this episode. People are like, you know, when it was the young lady with the with the with the in the in the park with the young man watching the birds, he came out and said he didn't want to press charges on her. Um, and he, then he tried to attribute abolition theory to it. You had Mark Lamont Hill coming out and saying, you know, we can't, we can't press charges on people on her for, for making a false claim because we have to think of other ways, you know, for abolition theory, since we're all, you know, for abolishing the police. Let me tell you all something. If your abolition theory starts with the perpetrators of white supremacy, if it starts with cops who are terrorizing and killing our people, then your whole motive is misplaced. Okay? This is called a process. That means we're working through the ins and outs of it. But right now we have an immediate issue where people are trying to kill us. And a lot of those people are using the system to do so and the system is gladly doing that. So we're not going to be the first people that we are not going to grant abolition abolition theory to and try to emancipate are not the oppressors. The people who are being victims to this that's who you start that with you correct the wrongs in society first you start fresh and new and then we can build and go one step forward But a lot of people like to use this purity testing and a lot of it is based on what you said earlier jess whereas people want to feel higher than now so i'm pure my my liberalism my progressivism is purer than yours so if people hurt us, or people, the cops who have their are their, their knees on our necks and are killing us in the streets and are running us over, we we have to grant them the same uh, the same you know uh, liberation that we're trying to do. Listen, no, that's not how this works. And the fact that that's even where some people are starting the conversation mm-hmm. is completely mind boggling. You know, and these are the same people that have BLM in their bios and they have every intersectionality, whatever you want to be called in their bios. These same progressive people, when it comes to this abolition theory, it's been killing me seeing this because it's like these are the people that you are starting with. How about there's a whole prison system of our people in prison right now for crimes that they should not have been imprisoned prison for? for things that they should not even be there for we should start there let let whatever happens to her happen and she needs to be prosecuted but we we have places to start right you know you you you
1: start at square 1 Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. You start by recovering. But you know, you start it's by thing. recovering. You start by like you know the the um, traditional African concept of saying kofa. You got to go back first. You got to go back to get it. You know, you you have to go back and right the wrongs that have been um, that have been made. And that does not mean that we sit here and we listen to like the Clintons going on their different little press junkets and talking about mistakes were made. It's a little deeper than mistakes were made, honey. (laughs) It's a little deeper than that. And so there are some wrongs that need to be righted. As we right now, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I got to say it. As we right now, so many states are preparing and we, we touched on this in the last pod. So many states are preparing to, you know, legalize marijuana in all different types of levels. We got to go back and right the wrongs of all those black and brown folks who have records, who are still, in jail some people some people are still in jail kids didn't grew up having their own kids brothers been in jail since the 90s early 2000s they about to be grandparents y'all <laughs> like brothers still in jail from from some little like a like an ounce just depending on where you live and depending on the cop that arrested you and depending on the judge you had at the time you know Your whole life is taken from you.
0: It's, you know, it's about, it's simply about trying, um, treating the communities that we say that we're for as less significant than our ideals. So on one hand, you have the real, like you mentioned, You have the real life implications of what's going on in your community. And then you have your ideals of what progressivism is and what a better world is. And at some points they clash because this is not a simple world. This is a nuanced world. So you have these situations where community says this is what we need and then you have these ideals. And as a, if you're trying to be an organizer, if you're trying to be a person to help communities, you have to be community-minded first and ideals have to also assist in that. Um, I saw a great uh, status update a while ago. This is from Wild Fonts on Twitter who I actually follow. She has a lot of great commentary. Um, And I, I don't know if we touched on this, but in Milwaukee, um, there was a house that was suspected of sex trafficking and uh, black people in the neighborhood and then the black men specifically went to the house and tried to see who was in the house they, they made some connections and they figured out that it looked like the police were actually assisting people who were in the house to get out of the house mm-hmm. and to protect those people and the black folk in Milwaukee uh, they burned that house down <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they got rid of that house um, Whether whether you feel Symbolic or not That made a statement You are not allowed in our neighborhood We will find you We will destroy whatever you're trying to You know Commit these crimes in and we'll, we'll get rid of it And um, Wild Fonts had this great uh, Status update that I retweeted on my Twitter um, she said, "Black folk in Milwaukee are doing abolitionist praxis, burning down houses where children are trafficked, plus mm-hmm. rescuing quit plus rescuing kids, while Twitter abolitionists are on here condescending to niggas about how we're just as bad as white supremacy for wanting killer cops in jail." <laughs> so imagine that. Like mm-hmm. you know, these things have to be thought about in real life implementation for anybody, especially, you know, writers and black media and these of sorts and, and young black organizers in our communities, you can't start the practice of your ideals with protecting the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Okay. You start with your people first and you go from there. You write the wrongs in your community first and you go from there. Um, so it's just, it's the caping for whiteness through, um, through different lenses that really bothered me. You know, it's like, we're still caping you, you're still caping for whiteness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of this purity testing. And I mean, even about the July 4th comment that you made at the top of the episode, um, I'm not sure if we really got into it before, but, um, you know, people were taking black folks to task for, quote unquote, celebrating July 4th. Meanwhile, the actual reason a lot of black folks celebrate on July 4th is because they don't have work and it's community. And I get to not be at work. I get to barbecue and enjoy my family. You know, it's not connected to the meaning of the day, Um, but you would have to be in the communities to understand that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You have to be in touch with actual human beings. You have to be in touch with actual human lived experience. And you have to be part of the community. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's just the, the, the constant insistence upon believing and behaving as though our people are not human and not allowing us to do that and to be human beings. And we will say out of our mouths with all types of rhetoric that all other people don't allow us to be human and do normal human things. But then we, we, we self-fulfill that same prophecy. We then regurgitate that same, um, maybe not necessarily the same exact rhetoric, but we will turn around and regurgitate the same exact um, perspective, you know, without checking or um, further examining ourselves to understand that that's what we're doing. We don't allow ourselves to do normal human stuff. Like, and, and, and it's, it's so culturally destructive. We do a lot of the things that we do for better or worse because of survival tactics and ways that we had to carve semblances of um, meaning and also methods of protection and goodness knows what else out for ourselves. Now, what they may have become over time is a different conversation, but these are all conversations that need to be had, and it's a conversation. You don't get to come into the conversation all late, and then now you want to go, and and within in all of this you know so-called revolutionary um air that we've been in for the past couple months during covid and what have you and since you know the murder of george floyd it's it's not like and i and i don't mean to sound like that guy but like i've been pro-black and i've been pro a lot of this stuff you and i have celebrated juneteenth since goodness knows when And so a lot of these folks who, yeah, they're just new arriving to a lot of these things as well, but they didn't waste any time on jumping on the bandwagon with um, criticizing everyone else for what they do and don't do. Like, come on, guys. You have to allow folks to be human beings and you also have to allow folks to both and. Everything is not this or that, it's not. And that's a whole different type of perspective. That is a more white supremacist perspective of the world and the way that you look at things. That's an, that's a Western perspective. That's not a traditionally, that's not a traditional um, perspective of people of color at all, even though I hate that phrase, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's not, our traditions don't say that. Our traditions say both and. It, it makes room for nuance and for possibility and for change and for adaptability. You gotta learn how to roll with the punches sometimes, and that's, that is literally endemic to being black and to being a person of the African diaspora. We took all the lemons plus the mangoes and everything else and we made, you know, one hell of a juice. And and so even if there are some parts in that that are not healthy and what have you that may have their own dysfunction or what have you, then we can talk about those things insofar as they are harmful and you know, they're costing lives we can talk about those things but simple things like barbecuing like come on y'all and anyway it's 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 an african american tradition we are one of the cultures if not the culture that brought barbecue to the united states you can trace it all the way back to the carolinas from where our families are from <laughs> and those traditions were cultivated by our people so t- more to the point, you are never in your life going to get me, a, 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 a child of the South in any type of way, a child of African descended people from the South. You are never in your life going to get me to disagree with somebody having a barbecue. Hell no. And I don't even care what day it's on. It could be on July 4th. You inviting? Because I'm coming. you know what i mean because of what that means for my people and because of the heritage of my people that that celebrates and that that continues
0: yeah i mean we see this though um in in so many different iterations like from the the barbecue um which we talked about there's the abolition part um, we also spoke on a, a couple episodes ago about people who just because they don't know about something, um, they claim the whole world isn't paying attention to something. Just because you don't know about something or you're yes. not participating in something does not mean it doesn't exist. It's almost the like...
1: performative when, woke Olympics. Yeah, it's like <laughs> when you
0: talked about Kevin Hart and the financial literacy. And it's like, just because you don't hear about it nor have even talked about it to great length does not mean that that conversation isn't happening. Um, And I also, I want to just give a props to everybody in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Day 50 of the Breonna Taylor, or day 51, 52 actually, of the Breonna Taylor uh, protests have been happening. Um, People have been shot, black men and black women. People have been killed protesting for this young lady and people are dedicated. Um, And we will continue to keep her name alive. Um, to make sure that those police officers, something happens to them, they need to be arrested um, but I just wanted to use that as an example of, you know just because you say something isn't happening doesn't mean it's not happening and we can even attribute that to the, the whole inner community crime thing, the same thing it's this whole the world starts and ends where wherever I pick up at, wherever I pick up mm-hmm. the book at,
1: mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. just not
0: true you know? mm-hmm. um, All right yeah And I mean too there's you know uh, since we were speaking about this whole uh, purity testing and wokeness and the uh, I'm more woke than you um, we this point of view of, of of teaching the ignorant aka our own people, listen, action more than words because a lot of the words that come out, it, it, it speaks to pick your pants up. Like you're speaking down to people who don't know what's going on. There was a whole buzz recently with the whole Nick Cannon stuff. I'm not gonna get into it. I don't think Jessica wants to too, but she, if you want to Jess, you can. <laughs> but there's been this whole like thing about Nick Cannon. And I just wanna speak about this one um, interaction I saw where this young lady, um, did a whole thread, and the start of her thread was, "I see, I see, black people don't know about the, the history between blacks and Jews. Let me educate you." Good grief! And she, and then she went on a whole thread talking about how black people and Jewish people are pretty much the same. She said that Jewish people were pushed into banking, just like black people were pushed into uh, being on the low. Don't you say slavery? on the low tier of systemic injustice, how we're pushed into poverty. (laughs) And she tried to equate these things. Um, I I believe she may be mixed, Jewish and Black, which may attribute to this, but um, let me just help you guys understand. I I get the fact that, and I say help you understand, not teach you, because I'm sure that many of you are aware (laughs) of what's going on out here. But like this whole speaking down to people in order to quote unquote educate them Um, it's ineffective but also people at this point we all are aware in some ways some of us are ignorant whether it's by on purpose or not but a lot of people especially with the age of social media um, are very much aware of the history of what's going on especially when it pertains to their people Um, people in the hood are very aware of what's going on in the hood Black academia is very aware of black academia, but it's just all how we decide to implement that into the world. Um, So when you try to use false equivalencies um, and try to make one people struggle the same as the others, when they are very unique, nuanced things, okay? and we see how things have benefited this group and how they have been detrimental to the other, that's at face value you don't need a calculator or to do long division for that we don't need 80 threads 80 paragraphs <laughs> we do i do like citations and i do like reading resources but you know we don't need that we can see the differences and the systemic differences and how these things affect us on a daily you know daily way so a lot of that performative um, false equivalency, let me help, let me educate like what you guys don't know. Listen, the world did not start whenever you figured out things were going on. A lot of people are living hell. Yes. You know, people are living in situations where they feel um, that people are taking advantage of them, manipulating them, siphoning resources from their communities. They're living that. They didn't just make that up. That's not propaganda to be hateful. That's called highlighting an issue that's going on and affecting their day-to-day lives. Absolutely. Okay? So um, a lot of that performative wokeness, a lot of that purity testing, you know, it's it's transparent. We can see through it. You know, people can search your name and see when you started talking about something. Right,
1: right, (laughs) right, right 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 and 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 more to that point oh lord i did not want to get on this topic today but uh, (laughs) because and i don't remember if it was you it might have been you or if it um, was one of my best friends who shared an article with me um that a young lady and it might even be the same article um
0: where a young lady yahoo the yahoo one
1: I think so the with the black um,
0: the rise of anti Yeah,
1: the rise of anti Semitism among black
0: and a black woman wrote that by the way.
1: And a black woman wrote that. Like I you know and it's not really something I really, really want to get to, but I, I just I just really want to say this to piggyback off of what you said, is that Black folks, in and of ourselves, with the ways that we, the circumstance in which we have founded, we've found ourselves uh, here, we are not a supremacy seeking people. We're just not. It's not what we do outright. The only exa- the only examples that you can find now have have been instances in which we have adopted or invented or created cultures for ourselves where um, because of you know having experienced the trauma of um, white supremacy for so long we try to etch out some type of um, <laughs> Uh, I don't want to say supremacy, but like some type of, well, we're better than this or or something to that degree, Um, uh, trying to harken back to something else that we can anchor ourselves to to. feel like well we actually are not those you know bottom of the barrel beings that you all it's try to portray us to be self determination yeah. trying to get yeah. power you know right trying to empower ourselves so like those are the only instances that you might arguably say that anything like that exists but we are not a people otherwise who seek um, supremacy simply and for if for no other reason simply because that's just not the, the that's just not the resource that we have Those are not the things that are available to us to do. Like, we, the majority of our energy, be it emotionally, physically, whatever else, is tied up in simply existing and surviving first and foremost. Then also tied up in resisting the constant barrages of attacks and what have you, and the constant microaggressions on all levels, right? So like the majority of our existence is tied up in that. And then there are those of us who, however much of a chunk of our existence is tied up in, you know, more or less for better or worse, proving that we're one of the good ones, you know, like actually achieving and trying to be part of the um, American dream and taking part in that and all that kind of stuff, being Full citizens on our own terms, some type, some type of way, right? So that's just not what we do. So it's very difficult for it, to stomach being accused of that sort of thing. Once again, it just goes back to the same argument and to the same idea that folks just do not understand Black people and you don't want to. Even if you are yourself a Black person, there are plenty of us who are way more infatuated with leftism and the white gaze and whatever else have you, proving that we're, you know, we can be and we all are one people in one community in one country and so on and so forth. Those folks, there are plenty of Black folks who are like that and who, you know, otherwise are the ones saying, you know, pull your pants up, this, this, that, and the third, right? That type of ilk. So it's not surprising that that type of rhetoric would come from a Black person. It's just that once again, it proves that overwhelmingly there are people who give not one damn about the actual circumstances and existence of Black folks by and large. They don't actually care about the actual lived experiences and what it is, the types of circumstances that we find ourselves in in our communities. They don't care about the actual relationships between us and any other group of people. It is a It should be well-known. Maybe it's not that well-known, but, you know, I I can't take for granted that everybody knows this, but it should be well understood by this point in time. And if it's not, get it, get it together, go look it up, go figure it out, that it is endemic to the history of this country, especially over the last, what now, century and a quarter, that... Given the opportunity for certain folks to purchase their whiteness or at least to attempt to, and when I tell you, you can go back in the court records even with the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court of the country and also Supreme Courts of various states where various people of different races, regardless to what color they were, (laughs) you know, levied and attempted to purchase their whiteness. I mean, again, someone as far as to levy a whole, you know, court case and lawsuit, (laughs) some through other means, whatever. Folks have purchased whatever level of privilege or whatever um, type of nationalism to themselves, whatever way that you want to characterize this, be it the purchasing of whiteness or, you know, um, ethnocentrism for themselves and what have you. Nevertheless, as one of my mentors and, um, you know, old professors and whatever, as she said, and I swear by this, regardless to where somebody is in this country or when they come to this country, everybody finds their nigger. And when they find the nigga nine times out of 10, I don't mean to shock anybody, but nine times out of 10, it's us. <laughs> we're the easiest cannon fodder because we're already in that position and people will, whether it's intentional or de facto, they do that. And over and and white supremacy over time has helped historically, you know, talking about like redlining and, and, um, <clears throat> housing policy, economic policy, lending um, policy within banks, and financial institutions, um, housing policy, zoning policy, uh, urban planning, so on and so forth, um, land usage, all of those things in the past have gone into the reason. So, you know, that whole phenomenon of why black folks now nowadays talk ad nauseum about, oh, you know, it's the Arabs, they have everything in our community and Asian people, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about all the other races of folks who own so many things in our community, but there's historic precedent to that. Historic being through policy and through financial practices of financial and lending institutions that support folks doing that in our communities and our communities uh, specifically and almost exclusively. And some of that stuff still happens. But then at the same time, even if some of that stuff in terms of policy and financial practices doesn't exist anymore, because in some places it may or may not, but those people still carry on with those types of practices within our communities. Now, there are plenty of folks, plenty of Black folks who can speak to not having the most positive of relationships, let's say. And this is not just Black people, Black and Latino folks can speak to not having the most positive relationships with certain groups of people in terms of those folks being in our communities and taking advantage of us. And also increasing in the inequality and in the economic downturn within our communities and supporting, for example, like the high eviction rates, the high homeless rates and what have you, especially among black folks, especially among black single mothers. And you can go look up. I really didn't want to get to this topic either until the next pod, but I guess I can just briefly touch on it now. Like, yeah, just briefly touch on it. Eviction. Evictions are a crisis nationwide. They were before COVID. The hardest hit population being black unmarried mothers with children. You can bet that by and large, those are in our inner city urban communities. And quite often, I can say this is at least the case in my community in Newark because I literally sit there and physically watch it happen. That there are Jewish folks who, I mean, they come in the community and they just walk around like they're casing the joint. Like, no matter what your intention is, at least your approach something has to be discussed or done or, or you know, some type of forethought should be given to that. Because i got to tell you, as we're sitting here on the porch and we're just watching that happen constantly over the years and over the generations, week after week after week, that type of thing happens, not only with the actual ownership and the actual type of predatory um, practices that are had with regarding to housing in our communities, among those folks in their communities who don't live anywhere near us. Yeah, and, and have gonna... no investment in, in any type of you know uh, good things happening in our communities in any way, there are reasons within our own experience why we may have certain mistrust, let's say, mistrust of certain folks or certain groups of people. Because the only interactions we have with them <laughs> are within our communities, and it's a very predatory type of situation and discriminatory type of situation. I am not justifying discrimination in any type of way. What I'm saying is, is that when you speak about a people, or you look to critique what it is that we are saying, it might behoove you to try to get an understanding, or at least ask us why we may be saying it or at least ask us what our relationship to those folks might be that prompts that type of understanding or prompts that type of thought. It's not like we just literally say, walk around here saying, Oh, we hate all Jews. No. And, and you cannot link us to hate crimes that are going on either. And again, like, you know, pa for another time, but it's, it's just, all the, all the many different ways that folks, with their constant um, purity testing in ideology that's not applicable to real life at all, the constant, you know, trying to outwoke everyone else, the rubber does not meet the road with most of these ideologies that people will tout and bloviate. The rubber does not meet the road. And it I mean, is not applicable to real lived experience. Yeah, and, and it just shows that you don't care about the people and you're completely out of touch with
0: them. That seems like that's the the theme here. <laughs> right. It's, it's true. And, you know, as being someone I I went through that predatory practice as far as real estate goes and interactions um, about two or three years ago. Like this is happening now. You know, like these things are happening now, so you have to understand people's mistrust. And I mean, I can just put a, a, you know, I I didn't listen to the whole Nick Cannon thing. Um,
1: Neither did
0: I. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I'm just talking to another
1: time too. Yeah, I'm just talking (laughs) about.
0: You know, I I just wanted to be clear in case people, you know, wanted to get their assumptions on what our point of view were when it came him specifically. I'm being very clear. I don't. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I'm talking about the reactions to it um, because the reactions to me always speak volumes. Yes. I don't really, I don't necessarily need to actually hear the original is because for me, I typically stay unbiased in a lot of things. I know there's a lot of nuance that has to be involved. And I mean, it just, honestly, it just peaks to what my interest is. And when it came to the whole Nick Cannon thing, I understand what he said may have been offensive to some people, I think he addressed that in an apology. Um, but then when I see the responses, especially from our people, just like you said, that, that article, and I think it was Yahoo, that said the rise of anti-Semitism and Black celebrities or something like that, some inflammatory subject title. Um, and then I saw who it was who wrote it. Um, I, a self-proclaimed very progressive young Black woman um, LGBTQ representative, and it just was like again with the um, with the purity, with the I'm more progressive, and this is why when there's no context to ju- you laid it out very perfectly, and I'm, and that was what a couple minutes on why there would be mistrust there, and it's not something that's just made up out of the sky. You know what it is? It's it's parallel to the reverse racism argument. You know where it's like black people just made up our mistrust for a certain demographic out of nowhere. It's completely void of any context on what's going on. And so now to replace the verbiage of reverse racism, now you have the black supremacy thing being touted. Um, the young lady who I talked about on, on Twitter who had this long thread trying to put the false equivalency um, there she meant she used that word in black supremacy and then she went back and recandidated and said no you know i understand that you know this was a wrong term but it was one that she made obviously and she wrote and then hit tweet you know like it was something that was in her mind and she put it out there and to be very clear a lot of black people's mistrust even some of our prejudices um and things that we feel you know they've been born out of being preyed upon. We, Our communities have been obliterated by people and no, we're not just going to trust these people. And a lot of the trying to bring bring trust to relationships that are, do, do not call for it is a lot of these um, black bourgeoisie um people who have this need to be in the white gaze they they need to show that they're an exceptional um and that they can overcome these things and then they use you know people use MLK and all of these ancestors to try to justify. But it's just not parallel. Um, you you just can't say that black supremacy exists because it doesn't. Um, Sister Soldier said uh, you know years ago, like I I haven't destroyed our people have not destroyed whole nations. Have not gone through the streets and killed white people, you know, just because um, we didn't hold, we don't hold political power and economic power to oppress, and we have not even in history oppressed white people to the degree that black people have been oppressed, specifically in the United States, but globally. So you try to use these words to create false equivalencies. You try to use something like black supremacy that, first of all, does not exist, but you use it to combat white supremacy, which has been a destructive, monstrous force and killing millions upon millions of black people in so many different ways, physically, economically, emotionally, you name it. And then you try to just make up a phrase and say black people want to do the same. No, black people <laughs> want liberation. We want to be free from the oppressor. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. Um, we want to be left the hell alone. But just just more we so. We want
1: to be left the hell alone. To just be with more
0: me. so on that point. Um, there's a lot of black people, and I'm speaking to black people because that's our people. And we talked about you know the young black lady who wrote the the article, and then we we've spoken about all these other black people who have been contradictory. But there's a lot of black people on both sides, conservative and liberal, who are terrified of being looked negatively upon by white people. They don't wanna lose opportunities and any chance they get to distance themselves from people that are looked upon negatively, they will. This whole black supremacy argument is not new. This argument has been around since the 60s, 50s, 70s. Um, somebody uh, showed me this this uh, cover of uh, I think it was Jet Magazine or something like that, where Eartha Kitt made a statement upon black supremacists don't wanna see her with her white lover. And if, you know, I try to speak great upon the ancestors, but Eartha Kitt (laughs) was, was for the, you know, she wasn't out on the streets, but she contributed to, you know, entertaining the colonizers in Rhodesia. She dated those men who were colonizing people. That's just fact. But right. even in even in that time, she used the term "Oh, the black supremacists don't want to see me with these people." Um, you know, many people who are pro segregation use the word "black supremacy." I mean, come on, there's COINTELPRO pro that was used to end the Black Panther Party and system, and use the they tried to use the term "black supremacists," but the Black Panthers were saying, "Hey, multi generational, multi ethnic revolution." <laughs> Right, you, you know, that's what they were on. That's the type of time they were on. Um, so it's always this projection in order to, to scare and become a boogeyman. And there's just a lot of black people who are terrified of being lumped into that group. You know, they do not want to be ter- they do not want to be in that group. We, I want my progressivism to be this um, multicolor, um, especially appeasing white people. Let's be honest. Um, inclusive of all people when no a lot of times your progressivism especially as a black person has to be about black first because that's the liberation that is the struggle here
1: right it just goes back to exactly what you were saying earlier with you know you the moment that I say something or I bring up something in resistance to something that is violent toward me you cannot derail and combat what I said or even call me some type of hypocrite or, you know, like purity test what I'm saying. You can't do any of those things by then. Um, like like you were saying with the... Um, the arguments against, you know, defunding and abolishing the police with uh, using that to derail the arguments of um, chastising in any type of way and holding accountable these folks who are, you know, like the one that tried to get uh, get the, the black watching brother uh, killed basically by police i mean mind you you, he didn't
0: want to press charges he you know
1: right like you you can't you can't do that you can't reverse racism every single thing i say And, and honestly honestly folks i'm gonna keep it a buck even if you got some black people and mind you they are an extreme minority even if you got some black people walking out here saying um black supremacy so the hell what and I'm gonna tell you why. So the hell, what exactly? How can we achieve that? Don't worry, I'll wait. But
0: even With what? That,
1: just With what? what? What we? Wh- what? are we going to do to to in any way support or achieve that? See that that is that is the the actual pit of that is the actual um seat the actual seed of. All racist suppression, be it in rhetoric or whatever else have you these days. Absolute fear. And it's ridiculous and and absurd to me what it is that, that people are fearing. What are you afraid of exactly? Exactly what have black people done in any type of way that demonstrates to you that we are at any point going to get up as a mass and do anything to you? If anything, we protest. Yeah, we've done that. We may have shown within these past couple of months that we may get active. But honestly, it is only in response and reaction to us being degraded. If that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have done even that. Again, Black folks ain't trying to make revolution out here. No matter what it is that we say, we're really not. We're trying to live. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to live. Other people keep putting a whole bunch of stuff in the way of us living. That's why we're getting up and having something to say about it. Otherwise, if you would just stop doing those things that we're actually complaining about, and that's at any level, If you would just stop doing those things that we're complaining about, those things that are literally killing us, if those things were not in our way, we would have zero to say because we really do not want to make noise. But it has become part of our identity to constantly be in a state of resistance in some type of way. Even if it's only in rhetoric, it's become part of our identity to, to resist. Literally, as we used to say in the Who movement when I was part of that, Africans have the right to resist. That has become part of our identity to resist at all terms, even sometimes to our detriment.
0: I think that's that might be the title of this episode because right. I mean, that seems like that's the theme here. Um, across many different topics, the theme has stayed the same, which is the ways in which people silence our cries Um, and also hearing our cries and then And then, you know what? I don't even give the benefit of doubt anymore. People using what they understand as resistance to try to silence us. Um, And, you know, we're seeing that here. And you can't, you know, you can't use these reverse racism, black on black crime, uh, black supremacy, these terms that hold no tangible weight you know, like when you say something like black supremacy, in order to uh, in order to put it on the equal stance of white supremacy, you can't. There's not millions and millions of bodies of innocent people. There's not an entire system, systemic you know, injustice in prison system, private prison system. Um, you have police brutality. There's housing um, inadequate. Uh, inadequacies and you have redlining and you have voter suppression you have systems on several different tiers in place education um inequities these are these things are put in place to be a detriment to a specific people Typically and mostly black folks, because that's who's at the bottom of each of these statistical markers. You know, these are the people who are affected and impacted the most by these markers. So when you use a term like black supremacy and you say, well, you guys are just trying to be black supremacists. okay, it's just like you said, how is that possible? What system is is in place to benefit us in that way? Or are we just out here trying to march to be looked at as human beings? And when people say the black on black crime thing, reverse the same thing. They're just silencing tools. They hold no data, statistical weight. You know, there's nothing that people can reference to go. This is a thing here on the same level of white supremacy. You know, you have the boogeyman in the room and you want to fight your friend who has to help you get out of the room (laughs) instead of the boogeyman. I think there was something where I read where somebody was like, you know, a lot of black people, and I'm talking about inner community. I'm not talking about black, you know, as far as in comparison to any other race, but as a black person, you see a lot of black people trying to silence each other or silence themselves for benefit of the white gaze. And a lot of it too becomes To those who aren't we start to fight each other and we start to fight each other for who has the best place on the plantation and um who's the best slave on the plantation and this is the way that a slave should be on the plantation instead of fighting the master of the plantation for your freedom um so there's this complacency that comes And when we get to take on the vocabulary and word usage, you know, like these phrases that we're talking about, this black and black crime stuff and this black supremacy stuff, those are phrases that were used to combat our freedom. Those are white supremacist based uh, phrases and words that a lot of our own people, because of those stereotypes and those things, they begin to use them when preaching to each other. Um, so it's just like this big circle that like, none of this stuff is new. That's the
1: part that kills me is that it's really just regurgitating the same old stuff. Now, older folks saying it, that's one thing. But God darn it, you got younger people saying Like, it's literally the same stuff that folks been saying since the 50s and 60s, man. And depending on what it is that's being said, it's even folks in the 1800s that were saying that. It's like, y'all, come on. But
0: a lot of this, a lot <laughs> of this stuff when it comes to in this the, the purity testing, I think it, when it comes to the purity testing, Testing for progressivism, um, and people saying, "Well, this is how you this is how you need to be." Without any context, a lot of that in the younger in the in the younger audience, and even with some of the the mod the current writers, the black writers, and and things like that that we see online who write these articles, these inflammatory articles. Um, a lot of it is trying to meet this social justice warrior pure. Um, I'm black with every other pronoun attached. Um, it's, I'm, it's this, I'm black and it's this exceptional, um, goal to be the exceptional one. I don't want to say exceptional Negro, but that's kind of what I feel like saying there. But it's like, I have to be this exceptional, all inclusive, um, uh, persona. And what they end up doing is alienating black folks. Most of the time, you know, because it's without context. We've we've just named so many examples between you and I of ways in which what a lot of people say just do not connect with what's going on in our communities.
1: Doesn't connect.
0: Yeah. But um, we've been Whew. going on for a while. Yeah, man. And I do. I, I do think we should end it on some um, some profound notes. So I'm going to let you speak at the end about. Well, not let. Would you like to speak at the end <laughs> about, uh, CT Vivian and John Lewis? And I, I have a, a, a little thing. I want to big up somebody on here too, uh, before we end. Um, um so you want to go first or should I,
1: uh, you go, you go ahead first and I'll, I'll wrap up.
0: Okay. So, um, before we end this episode, um, I just want to, if people are not aware, in Long Island, um, a Black woman named Jennifer McLegan has been harassed by her neighbors. Um, Her neighbors are white people. Um, They have been throwing feces in her yard ever since she's moved into this house. They've been harassing her. They've thrown feces in her yard. They threatened to erase her. They flashed uh, guns at her. Um, Everything they can do to terrorize her. And she actually want to. $5,000 Five thousand dollar judgment um, throughout all of this against her neighbors, specifically about the feces in her yard. Mm-hmm. Um, so what she did was she wrote a, a long letter, very big letter, and she's pasted it on her front door. Um, and there's been protests to to speak on you know on behalf of her because it's just her and her child and her home in Long Island. She does not want to move. She doesn't feel like she needs to should move. And I believe her as well. It's her home. Um, She deserves to live where she wants to. Um, So while this has happened, a young Black man has every night for the past six nights, um, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., he's drove up in his car and he's sat his car in front of her house and he has been on watch in front of her house for the past week. Um, His Twitter name, in case you all want to go on Twitter, is flow349. And every day, he just is commentary as far as making sure the house is fine. Um, and since this, um, since this incident has been going on and he's been camping out pretty much in front of her house every night from 6 PM to 6 AM, it's uh gained, It's gone viral. So um, now there's a bunch of black men, including him who have been in front of her house every single night for the past uh, few days. Um, And people are sending him some of his favorite snacks and stuff like that. And it kind of just touched my heart because it seems like he is humbled by people just giving him pizza or snacks to stay there. Um, And he feels like he's obligated to do that. And he works, you know, Mm -hmm. like he doesn't work. He goes to work, comes off work, gets in his car and camps out in the car. And since then there's been a lot of black men and, and people who have uh, also been camping out. There's been, he's reported that some people have slept on the sidewalk and other people are also parking their cars there to watch their house. And so this is what I just wanted to bring as an example of black people in reality, looking out for one, for one another is I know we see these divisions online, but when you have stories like this, um, of people committing their time to protecting one another. You have the stories like in Milwaukee where an entire community came together. Um, this is real life. you know. Mm-hmm. This is black unity in action in real life. Um, so I just wanted to send my love and my protective energy to Jennifer and her child and send my protective energy and love to this young man and everyone yes. else out there who has been, who is committed to keeping her safe um, people have gone on to asked to donate to him, but he just gives her GoFundMe. So if you go on his Twitter that yeah. I just said, um, he has her GoFundMe up. So if you want to donate money, he says it needs to be donated to her. Um, and I just think it's a beautiful story. So I just wanted to give them a boost um, so that people can Absolutely. understand that this is real life. This is how we love each other for real.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that was it.
1: As Dr. Cornell West said and others have said, um, justice is what love looks like in public. Yes. Um, And so to conclude our conversation, you know, however circular it may have been on um, being in touch with the people and really being for the people, we would be remiss if we did not um, show some love and reverence to, to absolute monuments of human beings to the freedom struggle, to um, self-determination for black folks. Um, And I can't even just say that they are figures in history because it's not like they ever stopped working, (laughs) you know, um, up and through the last few weeks and past few months, even like I shared, I don't remember if it's on our Twitter or on my Twitter, but, um, I retweeted other folks' uh photos and videos, even including a recent uh photo of the now late uh representative John Lewis, um actually at one of the, you know, Black Lives Matter street murals, standing in front of it, mask and all, you know, uh taking a picture. And it's just so indicative of the Titans whose Shoulders any of us who endeavor to um, work for the freedom and edification of our people, you know, that we lost over uh, the weekend, actually on Friday, you know, unfortunately both um, John Lewis and um, Reverend C.T. Vivian passed away. Um, they were respectively, I believe, 80 and 81. Um, born in you know 1940 1939, same age as my nana, and <laughs> um, you know they they began their careers in both um, ministry and in social justice work in you know in the trenches in during the Montgomery bus boycott and um, all of those different fights that we had during the 50s and 60s with regard to you know black suffrage enfranchisement and desegregation. Of course, that's how we got to know those folks on a national level. And, um, you know, they, they've since consistently continued to work. I have friends within um, the movement and what have you who have, you know, met with them, organized with them and been mentored by them. And so, again, like just just to you know, send some loving vibes to their immediate families. to all of those in their immediate communities who have, um, seen them as the pillars of community that they are and that they have been. And to us as a people, you know, uh, We always mourn these figures in our communities, and rightly so, because of what they've been to us, what they've been for us, and for the accountability that they consistently continued to um, hold up in front of this system, be it on a local level or a national level. Um, So definitely just wanted to say, you know, rest in power to the both of them. Ironic that we lost them both on the same day. And also peace and power to the rest of us and those who do work and those who are, you know, us black folks just here trying to just figure it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. <laughs> We're all trying to figure it out.
1: We're all trying to figure it out.
0: And that's that's the, 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 there's been many, a couple of things in this episode, but it's been pretty consistent, is, you know, love, love black people, love love yourself. And and your Blackness unconditionally. Um, And there's always nuance and context. And I encourage everyone from any point of view that before you speak, just put some thought and context into what you're saying. And I'm also aware that a lot of people put out misinformation Mm -hmm. messages that are disguised as such for a reason, whether they're opportunists, whether... They're trying to um, trying to get the gaze of a certain people. I understand that exists too, but I think the message that you know we want to share is there's a lot of black people who love each other and who are fighting for each other. Um, we lost two of those people very recently, but um, our love, sending our love to to everyone in the fight and in the resistance. You yeah. know. But we have been talking for a while.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> As always. And we didn't get to everything that we wanted to get to. Um, but we will definitely be getting to it at some point.
1: Oh, yeah. We're you know, definitely like, going to get to it. We definitely wanted to get to that purity test and boy. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's,
0: it's, it's going to continue to be a thing. And especially with the age of activism that we are in. It's going to continue to be a thing, but we just had to get it out because we both have been experiencing this thing in in different ways um, independently. And so we were like, all right, we got got to touch on this. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We got to talk about it because it's going to continue and it's not new and it's been going on forever. Um, But the thing is, is calling it out when you see it, you know, Mm -hmm. putting a flag next to it. Um, because some of it is very nice and it's it's put in different ways to make you feel like it's speaking for you when it's actually speaking to, to make you be quiet and to silence you. Right. You should not be silenced. So, this has been another episode of Blackocracy.
1: <laughs>
0: Follow we us. thank
1: you for tuning in. Follow us on all social media portals. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just look up The black ocracy.